This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Good morning, Emmaus. Thanks for coming and worshiping with us, uh, both in person and online. Um, we're excited to be here together. Um, and so uh, this is a season of Advent, and we're thankful to be able to anticipate the coming and return of, of Christ our King. And so uh, today, if you would uh, remain standing, we're going to read from John chapter 16, verse 25 to 33. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hours are coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you've loved me, and have believed that I came uh, from God. I came from the Father, and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly, and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things, and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Emmaus. Good morning, everybody online. I'm still kind of excited about the space. It just looks cool. And I got to use it a couple times throughout the week, which is nothing we've been able to do before. So that was also very exciting for me. Like, you guys rehearsed here. Yeah, see, you guys got to rehearse in a space. What does that feel like? Yeah, so... (laughs) Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, uh, excited about, about the new space and, uh, learning about what it'll be like when we can actually, like, have people filled up for worship in here. That's, uh, exciting to me. Um, it's also exciting to think about Advent, um, exciting to think about the, the coming of Jesus and these weeks kind of leading up to Christmas, but I wanted to start this morning by sharing something that sort of struck me this week while I was sitting out in the cold at Bear, since you can't do anything inside, I was sitting out at the cold at Bear, and in God's providence, um, the person that I was meeting in A uh, was really late. So thank the Lord for that providential, because I was sitting there reading a chapter that I probably wouldn't have been reading. And I was reading it, and Ray Ortland said something that I think encapsulates uh, the passage that we read this morning. That sort of sort of be the uh, grounding point for us as we go through this section of scripture. But he was commenting on Isaiah 40, and Ortland said, "We don't live by explanations; we live by promises." He said, "We don't live by explanations; we live by promises." And it struck me because there's times in my life. There's so many troubling moments in my day or in my week 
where I really kind of just want God to explain himself to me. I just want God to make it make sense to me, whatever it is I'm struggling with, and he doesn't. And he doesn't because I think what Ray Ortland is trying to say, and hopefully what we'll see in this passage, is that that's not how the Christian life works. We don't live by explanations from God. We live by promises from God. God just isn't in the business of explaining himself to me, but he is in the business of making wonderful promises. He is in the business of making wonderful gospel promises to us and then showing us that he keeps those promises while he asks us to believe, while he asks us to trust him when he makes those promises. Because we don't live by explanations, we live by promises. And that's tough because in my sin, I, I don't want to believe all the things that God has promised. In my, in my sin, I'd rather God in situations where I'm stressed out or where I don't understand, I would rather God actually come down from heaven and explain himself to me in that situation. And the problem is, is that's not true belief. That's not real faith. It's me deciding in my wisdom that, Lord, you need to present the things to me so that I can evaluate this situation and say whether you're doing this right or not. And let's be honest, most of us would rather, in certain situations, I would definitely rather live by explanations than by promises. We'd rather have God explain himself to us in every little situation than trust in all of the promises that he's given us. The problem when we think that way, when we, when we kind of fall into this trap that we live by explanations, or that if God would just explain himself to us, then the problem is we think then that we would have more peace if we just sort of understood what God was doing. We, we fall into the lie that living by explanations gives us, actually gives us more peace than living by promises. And that's, that's just how God works. So whether in Ortland's commentary on Isaiah or our passage this morning, as Christians, we won't find peace. I say as, as image bearers, as people made in God's image, we won't find peace if we try to live by explanations instead of promises. God's very clear that if we want peace, if we want to really enjoy the sense and the beauty of the promises of the gospel, then we can't live by explanations. We have to live by a genuine trust in his promises. Genuine trust in the God who keeps promises. And this morning in the, the gospel of John, we have... We've got Jesus and we've got the disciples. We have the disciples who are a group trying to live by explanation and it's not working out for them. And then we have Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect God in the flesh, incarnate son, who's living by the promises of God. And we have, we have Jesus who has peace, which is interesting because Jesus is called the man of sorrows but he has all the true peace that comes from living a life by promises and not by explanations. And that's because Jesus isn't just a man. He's talked about it last week. He's God made known. He is a real person in the flesh or the fancy word that we use is incarnate. Jesus gets tired. 
He gets hungry. He gets He gets totally abandoned and misunderstood by his friends. Um, but this guy, Jesus, is also God. So he shows how God works. He shows us what it looks like to live by promises and not by explanation. He shows us this so that we could have the same peace that he has when we're struggling with the things that we don't understand in the world. Jesus shows us what it means to live by promises and not explanations so that we could have peace in a world full of tribulation, in a world full of situations without explanations. So here in John, we get the, we get the God-man showing us what it looks like to live by promises and not by explanations so that we could have the same peace that he has. So let's pray, and hopefully we can see in Christ what it means to have that peace. We can see in how the incarnate Son of God lived his life so we could have the same peace as we trust in the promises of God. So let's pray and we'll jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that you are holy. I thank you that you are greater than we could imagine. We can come to you uh, an all-consuming fire and yet you're our Father and you listen and you're you're working in every situation in our life, Lord. I pray that you would, as we look at Jesus and the disciples, I pray that you would help us see, see how, how your son promise rest in those same promises, Lord. I thank you just for the opportunity to look at scripture, to gather and worship, and to praise you for who you are. In your name I pray, amen. And I'm gonna put this thing in my pocket because I think that's what's causing all the weirdness beyond that oh maybe it is worse I forgot my belt hold on okay we'll go with that uh it distracts me when it goes like in and out okay so if we're going to see the difference between living by explanation rather than living by promises. We have to understand a little bit of what's going on in the Gospel of John. Uh, ben started us off last week talking about the hope that the incarnation brings, uh, the hope that God dwell among us in the person of Jesus. And we are 16 chapters later talking about the peace that comes from living by promises and not by explanations. So then what's happened in the last 16 chapters? Uh, I'll give you the short version. Jesus has been going about preaching and healing with his disciples. He's been getting a lot of mixed reviews. Uh, generally, the people are pretty stoked on the fact that he can bring bread out of thin air and feed everybody. Uh, the blind, the sick, and the lame are healed. That's a, that's a big plus. Everybody kind of likes Jesus for that. Uh, but, they, but lately, they haven't been a big fan of what Jesus has to say, uh, especially the leaders in Jerusalem, the, the Pharisees. These are just like, popular teachers or leaders of their time. They're not, so, they're not really into what Jesus is saying, which is, which is kind of fair because every time they get together, Jesus is calling them being hypocrites for, for, doing, or for saying one thing and for doing another. So, they're, so they're, just, they're just not big fans of what Jesus has to say. The, the crowds are becoming less and less thrilled with what Jesus has to say. And if you're the disciples, you have to kind of feel this a little bit. You have to realize that it's not as popular as when you, when you started. 
And then on, t- on top of this sort of change in how the crowds are, are uh, accommodating Jesus, all of a sudden, Jesus, the guy you've been following for years, is starting to talk about the fact that he has to go and suffer and die in Jerusalem. And if I've stacked the last three years of my life on this leader that I genuinely believe from God, and now he's telling me he has to die, probably gonna make me a little bit nervous if I'm one of the disciples. So much so that one of the times when Jesus was talking to the disciples, Peter pulled Jesus aside, almost like protecting the, the rest of the disciples and was like, you know, hey, Jesus, uh, uh, we love you. You know, we respect you. We think you're from God. But, but all this talk um, about going to Jerusalem and dying, you're, you're going to have to cut that out. You're kind of making everyone a little bit nervous. And, and Jesus responded to him um, by calling him Satan and rebuking him, um, which is, which is I, we don't know how Peter took that. We don't get his response. But if you're Peter, you're probably not feeling so good about yourself uh, when Jesus does that to you. So, so there's a sort of this like increasing misunderstanding around what Jesus is going to do when he goes to Jerusalem. And so then here we are, 14 chapters later, sort of in the story, we're now in Jerusalem. We're currently in Jerusalem, the place where the leaders are and the place where, where Jesus himself keeps talking about suffering and talking about dying. We're here, and if I'm the disciples, I'm probably not super thrilled about all the things that are going on right now, especially since in the, in the last week before they, they sit down to celebrate Passover, Jesus has been publicly embarrassing and calling out the leaders in Jerusalem, the very place where he said he was gonna suffer and die. So, I, so there's, there's no indication really that the disciples are super excited about the situation that they're in. But kind of good news for them is they're celebrating Passover. They're at this Passover dinner where Jesus actually set it up so that nobody would know where they were, so that nobody would know where they're celebrating Passover. So they're in this, they're having a dinner. They're having a, a dinner that they celebrate every year in this undisclosed location with just the sort of inner circle. So at the moment, if I'm a disciple, everything seems pretty chill. We're like, there's nothing I need to worry about. Jesus is now calling leaders out in the, the synagogue. Nobody knows where we are. Let's just enjoy this Passover dinner. And if you know anything about the story, this is when things begin to sort of spiral downward. Jesus drops a couple of bombs on the disciples. First, in the middle of the dinner, he takes the bread and the wine and starts talking about how he's gonna suffer and says, this is my body that's broken. This is my blood that's going to be spilled. And if you're the disciples, you're like, Lord, we're celebrating you know, the Passover. This has already happened. And you're talking about the fact that you have to die again. And then on top of that, he's, as he's talking about his own death, Jesus says that, you know what? One of you, one of the 12 is gonna betray me. And they don't, they don't even, they're not like, oh, it's this guy. They look at each other and they say, what? Who? These are people I've lived with for years. And Jesus calls out Judas and says, go, do what you will. And he runs out. So they're sitting at this dinner after all of this has happened. There's like tension in the moment. And Peter decides to step up 
and sort of rally the troops. And he says, Lord, I'm gonna be with you to the very end. You worry. And Jesus says, actually, no, you're gonna bail on me and you're gonna deny that you even know me three times before the sun rises tomorrow. And it's hard to kind of put my in their shoes. It's like everything that they thought that would come from Jesus, from this one sent by God is now crashing down around them in this very moment. How do they begin to explain what's happening? Like not even a few moments ago, they would have been laughing, they would have been singing psalms, celebrating Passover, drinking, eating, and now all of a sudden Jesus is talking about his death we find out about a traitor and then the Lord tells them that they're all gonna bail on him. Like I can't imagine the different emotions that are going through the disciples at that moment. In Jesus, in true pastoral fashion or even just as a friend, steps in to encourage his brothers who are struggling to understand what happens. He steps in and the very first thing he as after this whole situation, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. In our scripture reading, the part that we're gonna go through in a little more detail is at the end of this section, but this is the very beginning of the section where Jesus encourages his friends to live by promises and not by explanations. Jesus shows up with all the, the, the peace instability that we see him throughout the gospels and in the midst of one of the most distressing times in the disciples' life, he shows up for his disciples and says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. He says, trust in the promises. And he doesn't just leave them with that. He spends the next three chapters in John explaining to them why he's come and why he must go. He goes out of his way to remind them of all the promises of the fathers and the son in that moment. He tells them of the, the promised Holy Spirit, the fact that he's going to go, but he's going to send a better helper. He tells them of the, the promise that he's going, but he's going to prepare a place for them. He tells them of the promise of the love of the father that, that they have for the disciples. He tells them of the promise that here, in this moment, while being betrayed by his friend, he tells them that right now, Jesus has joy and peace because right now, Jesus is trusting in the promises of the Father. Yes, this is Jesus looking at a stressed out, super confused group of friends of everything that's just happening. And he's pleading with them to trust in those same promises. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. Trust in the promises, not the explanations. And then after three chapters of just encouraging his disciples with these promises, we kind of land in what we read this morning. We land at the end of this encouragement in chapter 16, verses 25. So in a sense, we're, we're flipping ahead to the, to the summary and the conclusion of the encouragement that Jesus gave to his disciples. 
so that we could see what happens when one group trust in the explanation, the disciples, and the other group, Jesus, trust in the promises. So look at what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. So the word translated figure of speech here is, is sort of hard to, to translate into English because we think of like a, we think of something non-literal, like it's, it's raining and dogs. Um, Jesus isn't saying that I'm, I'm not speaking literally to you. It's an emphasis about the fact that they don't understand. Um, earlier in the conversation, Jesus says, I have more things I would love to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. Uh, they just don't, the disciples don't accept that he's leaving they, they can't accept that he has to die. Uh, I like how one commentator put it, the disciples cannot fathom his reference to his departure. And I think it's easy for us to look back and say, yeah, of course, Jesus had to die for sins. Like, how come they don't understand this? But, but this is their king. This is like the promised king they've been waiting for their whole life. And you know what? Maybe we can get over the fact that he's homeless. Uh, maybe we can get over the fact that he is not beautiful in appearance, but man, this guy does miracles. This guy uh, heals the lame. This guy speaks authoritatively from with God. This guy draws a crowd. And if we're gonna bring in the kingdom, if we're gonna, we're gonna grow this kingdom, the last thing we, that will make any of that work is for this person to die. So how does that work? They don't have an explanation for this. And I think it's easy to look at them separate their confusion from our own because this happens to us all the time. How many times has God brought suffering into your life and you thought, this can't be right? This can't be how God accomplishes his purposes for me. But th this, is, this is not the right way to do this, Lord. And we can, we can look back now and see that the suffering of Jesus led to the the glory and the resurrection. But, but we go through, through things all the time that God brings that we don't have an explanation for. And like the disciples, that kind of stresses us out. We go through suffering all the time where we want an explanation from God. The last thing we want is a reminder of his promises. And I think an easy one for Bridget and I to relate to that's not super intense, is medical bills. I hate medical bills. And we were talking to uh, Emily last week and it just reminded me of this. This is something the pools can sympathize with. Bridget was at work and she looked out the window and hit her head. And she calls me on the way to work and she's like, or on the way home, and she's like, yeah, I'm kind of struggling to see. And I'm like, you probably shouldn't be driving home from work. She's like, well, I feel a little better. It's fine. And she gets home and, and took some medicine, went to sleep. The next morning, she couldn't walk. She was, and I was like, ah, you're like, let's get, we, we're, she's on thinners, and I'm like, she's bleeding out in her brain. Let's go to the hospital. And we shoot over to the hospital and there was a, a baby with a fever in front of us. And they're like, oh, she's on blood thinners. Yeah, come, come here, you know. And they brought us right in and like did this. And we're sitting there waiting for the results. And we're like, man, I think I have to drill into your head. This is like a little intense. Like, let's not talk about, like, let's just think about the Lord. And so everything was fine. She had a, she had a concussion. And she didn't remember like that day or the next day. And, uh, but for the most part, everything was fine. And what happens like three weeks later? 
you get this like sort of official looking piece of paper that you probably would have just thrown away anyways, but says something to do with the medical thing. And you open it up and it's like thousands of dollars. And you have insurance, but it's like you look at the cost of the scans and you're like, Lord, there's so many other better things I could use my money for. Like why, this is, this is not the right way to do this. Like I, you know, I understand that you work everything out good, um, but you're gonna have to explain this one to me because this looks like I'm just throwing money in the trash. And it's, it's just one of those situations where you start swirling about it. You wanna understand why, and it's because you want to live by explanation and not by promise. Never mind the fact that God promises to provide. Uh, maybe God will work this out for good, but, but I don't really like that unless he explains that to me. We, in these situations where God brings suffering that we don't understand, we want peace that comes through explanation, not peace that comes through his promises. But that's not, that's not how it worked for the disciples. That's not how it worked for the God-man, Jesus. Uh, and that's honestly not how it works for the Christian life. So, so when the disciples don't understand, when they don't get it, what does Jesus do? He reminds them again of the promises. Look at the next couple of verses. In, in verse 26, he says, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and you have believed that I came from God. And I feel like this is like a, a master stroke of counseling for Jesus. They don't accept for a second that Jesus should suffer and die. So what does he do? He reminds them of what they do believe. He says, you have loved me. You, you believe that I came from God. And then he encourages them with more promises. He says, the father himself loves you. The father himself loves you. The father loves you so much because of what you do believe. So whether you understand it or not, the father himself loves you. And they're stressed, they're confused, and he takes what they know and he reminds them of the promises that the father loves them and will provide for them. But he doesn't stop there. He knows that they still need to believe more of the promises, so he goes on to state the whole picture, including the part that they don't like, that he's going to the Father, that, he, that he's going to die. Look at the next verse. He says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. He couldn't say it more clearly. He's like, yes, you're right. I've come from God but also I am leaving. I am going to the Father. We were just betrayed by a friend. I am going to suffer. It's a tough truth they don't want to acknowledge because they're still living in expl by explanations and not by promises. And they completely ignore the fact that he's leaving. Look at what they say in the next verse. His disciples said, Oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And I feel like Peter's like almost under his breath. It's like, that's why you shouldn't go. They completely dodge the situation that they don't want to accept. 
They completely dodge the fact that Jesus is going back to the Father because they can't accept what they don't understand. And Jesus knows that because they won't have peace when it happens. They won't have peace when they're living by explanation and not by promise. This is why Jesus responds the way he does. Look at the next couple of verses. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. What do you think? If they, if they trusted in the promises of God, do you think they'd abandon and leave the one they claim to love? No. I mean, they, they don't have peace because they live still by explanations and not by promises. They scatter hours from now when Jesus is arrested because they don't believe the promises and they don't have an explanation for what's happening. So they respond by scattering. They respond by leaving Jesus in the hour of his greatest need because they're living by explanation and not by promises. And Jesus encouraged them with the love of the Father because they do trust in that promise they do, unlike the crowd, they, they confess him to be the son of God. But I think like us, they still struggle to see the beauty of the gospel promises in other different aspects of their lives. There, there are other parts of their lives where they, they're like, I believe this over here, but over here I still want explanations. I don't wanna live by promises. So when, when suffering comes, when the thing that they, they don't understand comes, they scatter. They're without peace and they abandoned Jesus altogether. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's fairly typical for us. There are things that we believe and we, we find hope in and we rest in, but there are parts of our lives where, where God brings suffering or God brings things that are difficult or God brings things that we just can't wrap our minds around why. And what do we do? We like swirl around it. We, we try to figure it out. We talk to everybody about it. It's just that we complain about it. Just like, it's just on our mind and it just weighs us down. And how much peace comes from, from dwelling on a problem and trying to figure it out? Like none, but we do it anyways. How much more peace would we have when we're caught in a situation where we don't understand? How much more peace would we have if we spent half the amount of time thinking about the promises of God as we do dwelling about figuring out the problem. Instead of trying to figure out what he's doing, what if we thought more about how much he loves us instead? Instead of dwelling on how alone we are, what if we thought about how he promises to be with us and in us through the spirit? What if we dwell on that? Instead of thinking about how much money or stuff we could have had, why don't we dwell on and think about everything he's already given us in the gospel? What if that's where our minds spun around? How much more peace would we have if we spent time dwelling on the love of the Father instead of spending all of our time trying to get the Father to explain himself to us? How much more peace would we have if we lived by promises and not by explanations? And this is, this is how God works. He brings the trouble and tribulations of the world because he's pleading with us to trust him and to stop living by explanations and to stop living by promises. Because 
Not because he's indignant, because that's what brings true peace. How do I know that that brings true peace? How do I know that living by promises is what actually brings peace? This is the uh, time for the Sunday school answer. Uh, Jesus. Because, because Jesus had peace when he lived by promises and not by explanations. I mean, think about the situation that Jesus is in right now. His closest friends don't understand his purpose. One of his closest friends is about to betray him with a kiss while the rest just run away. And then he's gonna be nailed to a cross, naked, abandoned by the same crowds, he's fed and healed. So what does Jesus say in light of all this? How does he, how does he respond? How does Jesus have peace in this unimaginably difficult situation? Look at what he says in verse 32. Yet I am not alone. The Father is with me. I am not alone. The Father is with me. He has peace because he believes in the promises and the stated love that the Father has for him. He has has peace because he lives by promises and not by explanations. And yes, I'm being abandoned by everyone around me, yet the Father is with me. Not because he can see him, not because he won't suffer, but because he lives by promises and not by explanation. Jesus lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So of course, in his sufferings, In his trials, of course he's a man characterized by peace. Jesus is what it looks like when a man, when a woman, when a child actually lives by promises and not just by explanation. Jesus is just another way that God shows himself to be true to his word. Jesus is living proof that God gives peace to those who trust in his promises. And just think if you're the disciples, when he says that. You've been living with Jesus on the road now for years, in miracle. You've been taught by God himself. And here he is saying, you know what, guys? When things get really hard and you all completely abandon me, it's okay, though, because the Father will still be with me. I kind of like wonder if there was like a pause after that. Like you say you love me and you do, but you're gonna abandon me. The father won't. What do you say to that? What if I looked at Ben and was like, Ben, man, I'm gonna have a rough week next week. Um, it's gonna be really difficult. I got like all these things coming up and man, you've been a great coworker. I really enjoyed working with you. It's been wonderful um, but God, you're just gonna let me down next week. Uh, but it's okay. I trust that Christ will work. I trust in the love of the Father. How would Ben feel? <laughs> Even if I said that in the most genuine, most caring way possible, how would Ben feel if that's how we started our meeting on Monday? <laughs> I, we know how Ben would feel. He, he would feel like we do when we fail the Lord. He'd feel like I do when I get caught up in demanding explanations 
and understanding what God is doing instead of resting in the beautiful promises of the gospel. Disciples felt, we feel like we all do when we know we failed. When we drop the ball, when we've realized that we've just fallen short of our, our own expectations, the expectations of others, or, or even for not even appreciating the love that God has for us. This is what it feels like to realize that we've let others down, that we've not met God's standards, that we've trusted more in explanations than promises. The disciples, me, you, we feel like failures because we fail. And that's why Jesus Jesus steps in and he reminds us of another wonderful promise. That's why, that's why Jesus steps in when the disciples are at their lowest, when we're at our lowest, to lift us out of our despair. Look at what he says in verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you would have peace. I've told you that you failed so that in me you would have peace. Now he doesn't say, he doesn't say, I told you these things so that you would, you would have peace. He says, so that in me, you would have peace. I've told you that you will fail, that you will continue to fail me so that you don't find your peace in yourself, but in me. Jesus, every second of his life to the very last breath lived according to the promises of God and not according to explanations perfectly, loved his neighbor perfectly, and took the punishment for those who don't. That's the disciples. That's you and I. That's everyone who believes in the slightest bit. Everyone who believes in the promises of the gospel. That's why he says, in me, you will find peace. He's telling us his, his perfections and his, his perfect trust because in him is where true peace is found. That's a, another promise we have to believe when we fail. God has promised to love us, not because we're so great, not because we, we trust him so much, but because Jesus has already done all of those things. Jesus has actually overcome every single obstacle in the world, even you and I, even our, our lack of living by promises and not by explanations. Jesus has overcome every single shortcoming that we could bring to the table. That's why Jesus can look at the disciples when they're struggling, when they're gonna abandon him and say, the father himself loves you. Not because you are such great friends to me, but because you're in me. You're connected to what I've done. I've overcome every weakness you could ever have. I've overcome the entire world. And that's why he says in the next part of the verse, he says, in the world you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. The world. the world, the world is all the things in this life. That includes you and I, that includes our circumstances, that includes others, that includes everything we can see, touch, taste, and smell. Jesus left the Father to come into the world and now he's leaving the world so that he can promise to bring others with him, so that he can promise to empower us by the Spirit, so that he can promise to take the punishment for us when we fail. That's why he said these things. Look at the whole verse. 
He said these things so that we would have peace in him, so we would find peace. Here in Advent, as we think about how Jesus is a real person, lived promises and not by explanations, we can't forget that we're connected to this very person. We can't forget that Jesus said and did all of these things for you. And I wanna sort of revamp this passage up on the screen. Jesus said these gospel promises to you that in Jesus, you may have peace. Why? Because in yourself, in your circumstances, in your relationships, you will have tribulation. But take heart. Jesus has overcome all of those things. Don't live by explanation. Live by gospel promises. And thanks God for this unspeakable gift. Promises that lead to real peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us unconditionally. Um, there's no change in you. You are steadfastly committed to us because of your son. Lord, I pray that that would be on the front of our mind as we think about what it means that he came during this Advent season. I pray that that would be, I pray that your spirit would just work to help us think more about your promises than try to figure out the explanations of all the, the struggles we deal with in this world. Lord, I thank you that Jesus not only did this for us, but, but showed us what it looked like to trust in the promises and to look forward to the glory set before him. So I pray that you would help us do the same. Help us trust in your promises and help us look forward to the glory that's set before us uh, in the resurrection of Jesus, Lord. Thank you for this morning. I thank you that we have an opportunity to sing and worship you um, and then to take communion and, and be sent out into the world. In your name I pray, amen.